For those of you that I have not yet met or not uh, have seen often, or maybe you came starting summer, or maybe you're watching online, you want to stay home today, or you're traveling, uh, and you'll watch this later. My name is Prentice, and I have the privilege to be lead pastor here at Bethany in West Seattle. Uh, and we're so glad that you joined us today as we open up a new series. Uh, and we do this every year. We just call it simply Gather, Grow, and Go. Uh, this is a three-week sermon. Just to give you a little window of of who we are as a church. And, and when I say church, I don't just mean Bethany in West Seattle. Uh, for those of you that don't know, some of you don't, we are part of six different locations. Uh, and for the next three weeks, all six locations, we will be unpacking what it means for us as a church to value gathering together like this, uh, to, to grow in our faith uh, and to go, not just be insular in what we learn and what we hear, but to take that and uh, unpacking what it means to live that out in our neighborhood, in our lives. And so this morning, we'll actually talk about uh, the idea of going, and then we will talk about growing and then gathering to finish off. Uh, and if I had to title this message, I would title it, uh, Being on Mission, and this word mission gets thrown out a lot uh, in, in our faith, in the church. And just want to, again, unpack what that means for us to be a people uh, that is called to be on mission for the sake of God's kingdom here on earth. And so uh, we will be talking about that this morning. Um, so today's text is, is a familiar one. It comes from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse... 16 to 20, and the Word of the Lord says this. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open that up or just read the screen. The Word of the Lord says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Because remember, Jesus had died, and then he uh, rose again on the third day, and so he's appearing to his disciples, and you can see clearly why they would be in shock or even have this unbelievable moment. Uh, and so then it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray and we'll get started. God, thank you. Thank you that you have just transformed our lives and you want to continue doing that. But we also know that as you do that, the calling is to do something with that. And so, God, as our lives are transformed, may we be conduits and a good steward of your gospel, the good news uh, to help other people experience that transformation, that healing, the joy, the eagerness to grow. God, we just thank you for how you have been in our lives. God, we pray for uh, even the first responders, the firefighters right now doing uh, their job to protect uh, our, our land, to protect us and God, as this smoke comes, we thank you for the little bit of rain that we had. God, we pray for teachers right now as they are on strike and as they uh, advocate for their children, for themselves, for the workspace, for education. We just thank you 
God for the work that they do, oftentimes so undervalued and underappreciated. May we show appreciation to these folks. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, well, growing up, I meant, like many, uh, I grew up in the church, and I grew up in a, in a youth group that I would say that is probably the reason why I'm standing here today as a pastor. Uh, not a perfect youth group, but a youth group, and even after that, being a part of, part of college ministries has, has all culminated to, to me being here this morning. And, and I would say that as I look back in my church life, uh, one experience that I will always remember are these mission trips that, that I would go on with my youth group, and maybe some of you have done this as well. But there's this particular trip that we'd go to. It would be down to Tijuana, Mexico, and it's like a group of 20, 25 high school kids. We would go down, and we would build a house. And, and really what I mean by house is I mean we would build a concrete flooring, four walls, and a roof, and that would just bless so much a particular family that we would go to serve. It was a life-changing experience for many of us, uh, not just for the people that we serve, but even for our own selves to, to learn, even at a young age, what it means to look beyond our own world and our own universe uh, of privilege, uh, of haves, and, and see how other people just live and, and experience joy in their own ways. Now, I also remember coming back from those trips and thinking, wow, and we'd share stories with one another too. Wow, did you see what we just did? We just went down to this place and, and built a house, and, and we served people. And, and these are all good things, but I remember the, the kind of attitude and the mentality we had uh, was that we kind of felt really good about ourselves. Like, wow, we were we're really good human beings, and we pat ourselves on the back, and, and, and I would say therein laid a little bit of the problem. Now, I'm not saying doing those things and doing good, good deeds and building homes or going to, you know, different places is a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's an incredible thing, but there was this attitude that came about us. Now, as 15-year-olds, we didn't have the words to articulate what that was, but there was this idea of this, wow, we, we went in. We did something good. We helped, and we, we saved people from a particular type of, of downtrodden or misery or whatever it is, and we came back and we lived our natural, normal lives again. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I want us to unpack this idea of mission. We went on this mission trip. We are a people that's supposed to be called to be people of mission, but I just want us to see what this idea of mission even looks like. What is mission? Even according to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, uh, mission is defined as this. It is a specific task with which a person or a group is charged to, a, to accomplish. Mission is a particular task, a specific task for a person or a group to accomplish. And, and that's kind of the mentality that we had when we went on mission. We said, okay, there is a task at hand. There's something that we need to do. There's an event that we need to participate in. We need to check that box of doing it as, as to say that this goal was met. It was accomplished. 
So of course you can see, again, as 15-year-olds, I didn't have the language to articulate. There was these group of middle-class American youth traveling to an impoverished part of Mexico to go on a mission. You can see why there was a bit of a mental power dynamic occurring in our minds. There was this us in them. There was this haves and have-nots. There was a line that separated us. And in this book by uh, Steve Corbett, he wrote this book on mission called When Helping Hurts. He says this. He says, until we embrace our mutual brokenness, our work with the poor is likely to do more harm than good. I love that first sentence. Uh, Let me just read that again. Until we embrace our mutual brokenness, our work with the poor is likely to do more harm than good. I sometimes, and this is what the author says, sometimes unintentionally reduce poor people to objects that I use to fulfill my own need to accomplish something. I'm not okay. You are not okay. But Jesus can fix us both. Now that's probably something that my friends and I in this youth group fell into as well. Our failure to understand our mutual brokenness. Now again, mission trips are great. And we even as a church will continue to do it. I've been on mission trips, many of them. I still do. I just went to Rwanda just a few years ago. We go to Costa Rica as, as Bethany Collective. We have local partners uh, in organizations and organizations and missionaries that we support locally and nationally. So I'm not saying these are all bad things. In fact, these are great things. However, what I'm saying is we need a shift in our missional paradigm. We need, a sh- we need to shift our understanding of what it means to be on mission. We cannot narrow down this idea of mission, of going, like gather, grow, and go, of going to this one-time event in our lives. Instead, it must be a lifetime of transformation. It's not just this one-time event that we go and do this, this task to accomplish, but it's this idea of who we are forever in this life to bring God's kingdom here on earth. It is not a one-time event. It is a lifetime of transformation. In other words, being on mission is not what we do, but it's who, it, it's who we are. It is absolutely who we are when we say yes to Jesus. And in this passage, Matthew chapter 28, with a bit more thoughtful reading, would conclude to this idea, especially in verse 19, where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, Jesus defeated the cross, resurrecting on the third day in four short time. He reappears to his, his disciples because he, ha- he has an important message And he gives what we know and commonly has been referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus commissions his disciples before he goes to heaven. And he says, here's what I want to say. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, a couple observations around these couple words. First, the English word go 
is the word poriumai. This is original. The, the New Testament is written in Greek, and it's important to sometimes read the original language to see what the author's intention was. And the word go is this word poriumai. And it's just kind of nerdy, so I, I, I would imagine that it's kind of dense, what Megan said, to avoid these things. So let me just do the, the, the heavy lifting for you. It's what we would call a participle, and it's a continuous verb, meaning it's this action word that's it's continuing. There's no end. And so when the English Bible translates it as go, uh, a better understanding with its participle idea, this, this continuous verb would be as you are going. So it's not just go, go to this place, go on this mission trip, go to this foreign country or this land. It is as you are going. Okay, so that's the first observation. The second observation is this. The word uh, dis- to, to make disciples is a word matheteo. Again, let's, let's talk about what that means. It says, go and make disciples. As you are going, which is a better translation, make disciples. Now, make disciples, matheteo. We turn this into a noun, like make this person disciple or a disciple. But in the original language, first of all, the word make isn't even in there. It's just the word disciple. And, and the word disciple isn't a noun. It's a, it's a verb. It's an action word. And not only is it a verb, it's what they would uh, parse as an imperative. It's an imperative verb. So it's like imagine a word with an exclamation mark over it. And so a better translation of verse 19, it says, as you are going continuously in your life, as you are going, disciple, exclamation mark. Not make disciples this noun, but, but disciple people. What does it mean to disciple? What is, it's in our context, it's to show people who Jesus is, the love of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. As you are going in your life, Show people the love and the beauty and the forgiveness and the healing and the incredible life in Christ. That is what a disciple is. And to follow that beautiful and loving Christ. As you are going, show this. Teach people of this. Live this with your life. As you are going, disciple Help people to become more like Jesus. See, this is an important nuance. The former, go and make disciples, suggests that we go, we do a project. We, in fact, the danger of it is we treat people like projects. We make, we build with our own hands, and now the project is over. The latter denotes this ongoing transformation within ourselves and helping other people experience that transformation as well. And that is a better way to live. That is what Matthew meant in Matthew chapter 28. As you go to work, disciple. As you go to school, disciple. As you play with your children, disciple. As you are in relationships with others, disciple. As you scroll through social media, disciple. As you drive and somebody cuts you off, disciple. As you are going, help people to become more like Jesus. Now, what does that look like to disciple? 
Well, Matthew or Jesus in Matthew gives two ways you can do that. He says, first, one way to disciple is to, is to baptize them. Is to baptize them. Go into all the nations and baptize. First of all, go into all the nations. I won't spend too much time on this, but this was Jesus' first declaration that the good news is for everybody. Yes, there were hints that, it was, that Jesus came to, to also include, fully include the Gentiles, basically the non-Jews. But Jesus clearly says for this time, the gospel, the good news is for everybody, whether you like it or not. People you love, people you hate, everybody in between, people that look differently than you, people that speak different languages than you, people that eat different foods than you, people that smell differently than you, people that vote differently than you. Go and make disciples. Disciple them. Love them. Show them what Jesus is all about because it is our job to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit into all the nations. Now, the word baptize doesn't necessarily mean to grab the human being and dunk him in water. Don't, please don't do that. Don't grab a bucket of water and splash it over them. To baptize simply means to immerse. It comes from the word baptizo, and it means to immerse. It is why we do a full immersion baptism, and, and if you feel like it is the right time to be baptized. would love to talk to you about that. But the whole idea is to immerse, immerse people with God's kingdom, with the presence of Jesus. There's so many things that we immerse ourselves with, isn't there? We immerse ourselves in social media, on our phones, on technology, in the news, with different politics, and not even just politics, but our own echo chamber. We immerse ourselves in greed. We immerse ourselves in upward mobility, in our job, in our vocation, in our relationships. And none of these are necessarily bad in and of itself. But what would it look like for us to, first of all, be immersed in Christ and to be that experience for others. Now, there's no better way to learn than through immersion, right? So, like, if you want to learn a foreign language, you can take all the classes. I mean, you can imagine I, I took Spanish for, you know, two, three years in high school. I can tell you that I do not speak Spanish. Uh, you, can, you can go on Duolingo and all these apps for different languages, and, and it could be helpful, but there's nothing better than to learn a language than full baptizo, than full immersion. So going to that country, going to that city, and not only learning about the, the culture, but learning about the people, and actually speaking the language with them, being taught by them, by full immersion, by full baptizo. And so what would it look like to live our entire life to reflect the love, again, the love and beauty of Jesus, and to immerse people, to immerse people around us with that love and beauty in the way you live, with your words, with your actions. May people all around you be immersed with Christ's love with you because that is the best way, just like a language, to learn about who Jesus is. Someone could read all the books, someone could download apps, someone could do all of that, but what better way to understand who Jesus is and Jesus' kingdom than to be fully immersed 
in that world, in that culture, and may that world, may that culture be you. May you be the one who baptizes people, not again with just your words, but with actions, how you treat them, how you forgive them, how you respond when you get cut off, you know, when you're driving. How do you respond? Maybe you read something on social media that that attacks you or your belief system or your politics. How do you immerse people? How do you go into, as you are going on social media, how do you disciple or do you do the opposite? I know I do oftentimes. Let your life immerse people in the love, the forgiveness, and the beauty, and the joy, and the healing powers of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth. And during this time in the first century, salt was one of the most indispensable commodities on earth. Salt was used to preserve food and to clean food. They didn't have nice, fancy refrigerators. Uh, They used salt to preserve food. And of course, they used salt to enhance the flavor. You want to be a disciple? As you go, make Jesus flavorful is what, what what, what Matthew chapter 5 is saying. The Bible talks all over. It says, come and taste and see. Smell the aroma of Christ, of the Spirit, is what you're giving off, is the way that you're showing up to work, to school, to wherever you're going. Do people want to taste and see and experience the living Jesus in you? Or the opposite. As you go, do you have the opportunity to practice radical generosity and hospitality? If you're a boss, do you treat your employees at all levels with respect? If you're employed, do you work with utmost diligence? Do you speak with truth? Do you stand up for the weak and marginalized, the oppressed? Do you love like Jesus loves? Do you advocate the way Jesus advocated? These are just some of the ways that as we are going, we can disciple, we can immerse people into the life of the kingdom. So not only does it say go and make disciples by baptizing them, but also to teach them all the words that they have learned. So not only do we baptize, but we also teach people how to obey. It's like connecting the dots. Yes, it's about changing and transforming our lives with the way we live, but it's connecting the dot with why we live the way we live. And we, as followers of Jesus, live and have the capacity to live this way because of the spirit that indwells within us. We're always invited to point to Christ and the promise of Christ that Jesus will reconcile and make all things new. May we not be afraid to share with others the source of our hope. Jesus tells his disciples to openly say, the kingdom of God is near. In other words, don't hide the reality that Jesus is the headwaters of your hope, your service your own healing, your own capacity for generosity. Jesus is the headwater for our peace and our own reconciliation for forgiveness and healing. 
And I believe for this reason, as a church, as individuals, we would be cheating people if we didn't tell people about the source of our hope in Christ. We're connecting the dots. In this article listening to, entitled Listening to Young Atheists, uh, the, the interviewee has an has a interview with a college student who became an atheist. And here's how the interview went. It says, uh, students heard plenty of, here's what the article says, students heard plenty of messages encouraging social justice, community involvement, and being good. But they seldom saw the relationship uh, between the message of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Uh, and then her name was Stephanie. So, so the writer says, listen to Stephanie, a student at Northwestern. The connection between Jesus and a person's life was not clear. This is an insightful critique. She seems to have intuitively understood that the church does not exist simply to address social ills, but to proclaim the teachings of its founder, Jesus Christ, and their relevance to the world. Since Stephanie did not see the connection, she saw little incentive to stay in the church. And so the idea is this. Yes, we do teach the idea of good deeds to pursue justice and reconciliation. That is a big value here at Bethany West Seattle. And the, the necessity is imperative to connect the reason why that is important and why we value that. Not only is it for the sake of the kingdom, but know this, that it is through the Spirit of God that we're able to do this in the first place. You can go wherever you are, into work, into school, into your clubs, into your kids' sports team, into your family, and disciple. Be a presence uh, of Jesus. Jesus' love, Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' capacity. You can have that because the Spirit gives that to you. I know that jokingly we often say, oh, it's, good. it's impossible to love that person. Or, oh, it's impossible to go into this workplace and be happy. Oh, it's impossible to get rid of this old thing that was brought up into my family about how one race is better than the other. Or, or it's impossible for me to, to help and serve the homeless. Oh, it's impossible for me to address human trafficking. No, 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 no. It is possible. Not because you are so incredible, yet you are. Not because uh, you, you have the ability and the capacity to do everything. No, no, no. Because the Spirit, all authority has been given to Jesus. And when Jesus is within our lives, you too have been empowered with that power, that Spirit, to do all those things. So don't let Satan fool you to think that you aren't good enough that you don't have the strength, that you don't have the ability, that you don't even have the resources, because Jesus, through Jesus' Spirit in our lives, actually says different. You do have the power, not because you earned it, not because you possess it by yourself, but because the Spirit of Christ, the, the, the person who defeated death, has given you that power to live out the life, to immerse people in the love of Jesus, to teach people the love of Jesus, and that is how we go into all the nations. The Spirit is in you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive the power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is basically supporting uh, what, what Matthew says, to go into all the nations. You see, in this passage, uh, Jerusalem was their home. Judea was the outskirts. Samaria was a place that they avoided at all costs because they looked down upon the Samaritans. But it is our job, being empowered by the Spirit, to be witnesses for Christ. Now, I love that word witness, and this is where I'll end. I love that word, be, a, be my witnesses. Now, what do witnesses do? If you've ever been a witness in court, if you've ever been witnesses in, in car accidents or, or, or a crime or whatever it is, you, our job as a witness is to simply report what we saw, what we experienced, essentially what happened to us. Notice in Acts chapter 1, it does not say, you will be the judge. It does not say, you will be my attorney. It says, you will be my witnesses. Just when you immerse people, when you teach people, the way you do that is just to be a witness of how God impacted your life. And if you are a follower of Christ, I would say that Jesus has impacted your life. We have seen miracles. We have seen healing. We've seen joy. We've seen comfort. We've seen peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. And what it means to be a witness, to immerse and to teach, is to say, here's how God has impacted my life. Do you want to be a part of this? It is not to be the judge. God is the judge. It's not to come down on others and say, what you are doing is wrong, it's evil, you're bad, you're, you're unholy, and, and you're going to go to a very bad place after you die. That, that You are not the judge. You do not have the final verdict. I do not have the final verdict. That is only, there's only one judge. It's God. We're not attorneys either. You don't need to fight for God. You don't need to battle theologies and all these things and doctrines with people. Good, healthy conversations, awesome, good. Have them. But, but to be confrontational and to put people down and to, uh, you know, act like, I'll speak for myself, to know and have the best doctrine and theology and philosophies and worldviews, you, you and I, we are not to be the judge. We are not to be the attorney. We are simply witnesses for Jesus. And may that life, that experience that we have in the life of Jesus be so compelling. May that be the salt of the earth that people want to come and taste and see what is different about you in this world of polarity, in this world of hate, in the world of violence, in the world of politics, in the world of addiction. What is so different about you? about us as a church. It's Christ that, it, that has transformed our lives. And because of that, our mission is not what we do, but it's who we are. Immersing people and teaching people, everybody, in the kingdom of God. And as I invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to give us an opportunity, not just the worship team, but 
uh, the, the communion servers. And, and our servers this morning, I, I just want to say this. The servers can come in all ages, in all sizes, in all shapes, in all generations. And I love that our servers this morning include children. Because Jesus says, come to me like children. The kingdom of God is found through children. So may we, as we come up and and partake in communion, may we just love and receive this blessing from this family, from children, knowing that the kingdom of God is found in them. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start singing this closing song. And and when you're ready, uh, there's going to be two lines through the middle. And you're going to just grab a communion cup. On the top is going to be the, the cracker, the, the, the body of Christ. The, the other side is the, is the cup. It's the juice. You're going to take the cracker, the, the bread, anytime you want. It could be right away. You can wait. You can pray. You can do whatever you want. You would take the bread by yourself as individuals. But save the juice for the benediction, and we'll take that as a community. You see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples and he took bread and he broke bread and he says, take this, eat this bread. This is my body that was broken for you. And then he took this cup of wine, of juice, of grape juice, and he he says, take this cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take this cup, we take this bread as a church, as we gather, as we grow, and as we go, we take this as a reminder that our lives have been changed by the resurrected Christ. And because our lives have been changed, we want to immerse others into this changed life and by teaching and showing and embodying the love and beauty of Jesus who died and resurrected for us. And so as we sing this song, again, whenever you're ready, come to, this, come to the front, take the cup, and go back to your seat. Let me just pray for us, and we'll continue in worship. God, thank you. Thank you for children where your kingdom is found. May we take this bread and juice in your name and be reminded of our transformed lives, of what you did, the work on the cross for us, for our own transformation. So then we can use that transformed life to serve and and help and love the world around us wherever we go, in every situation, no matter who they are. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.